Welcome to episode 13. Nobody's superstitious, right? For a long, long time, nobody would wear 13 as a number. And then it was worn no problem in Europe. And now you've got more and more people wearing it. My name is Mike Stubbs. Kyle Grimard is here. You can find Kyle on socials at Kyle Grimard, G-R-I-M-A-R-D. You can find me at Stubbs980. Kyle, at any time in your life, have you worn the number 13? Uh, as a goaltender, no, but I will say uh, 13 was one of my favorite numbers growing up because of uh, Matt Sundin, number 13, who was the captain of the Maple Leafs. And that number, it, it always confused me because I remember he would wear it. And growing up, I was told 13 was an unlucky number. And I was like, well, why would Sundin wear that number then if it was unlucky? But it was my one of my favorite numbers for a good time before I started transitioning over to goaltenders. And then it was Curtis Joseph and Eddie Belforce. Then it was 31 and 20. And yeah, all those ones in between. The London Knights favorite number right now, I think, is a fraction. I think it is. It's eight out of 10. That would be their favorite number because they have won eight out of 10 games heading into another tough weekend. You go back to the beginning of last weekend, high degree of difficulty. It's a backward three and one half somersault. And you had the London Knights beating Barry in overtime, going to Windsor and winning, coming home and facing Sault Ste. Marie. Different challenge this time around, Kyle, because there's a whole lot of travel involved in this three and three. Yeah, this is, I think this is like an annual weekend for the London Knights at whatever part in the season. They're going to do a home and home against the Flint Firebirds, and then they go on the road Sunday afternoon to take on the Sioux Greyhounds, who the Knights are just coming off of their latest victory against. But the home and home with Flint, Mike, is going to be really interesting. One, the Knights are going to see Flint without Brennan Offman, who, of course, was traded to the Peterborough Peets in exchange for three draft picks and Artem Guriev. The Knights are within three points of Flint. They've also got three games in hand on them, having played 16 to Flint's 19. So this is going to be a very pivotal two games against them. If the Knights can find a way to pull three of four or even four of four points, it's a drastic swing in the standings. Absolutely. And you look at those standings right now as we get set for the weekend and the Flint Firebirds sit in fourth place. So that spells out where the London Knights are within reach of. And this is a team that has been slowly climbing up the standings. So Flint sits fourth. The Knights have a big opportunity. Flint will be trying to keep them away. But let's face it, Flint made a move that suggests maybe not this year because you don't necessarily trade away Brennan Othman and think, all right, we, we stock up now and we go for it. And Brendan Othman is a player that scored 50 goals for them last year. So they'll be looking for who steps into his role. The team looks very different without him in that way. So Flint going through an adjustment right now. They've got Will Cranley, who they brought over from the Ottawa 67s in the offseason as their goaltender. And he's somebody who is an overage goaltender and somebody that they were hoping would step in and be a lot like Luke Cavillan had been for years and years for them. And so far this year, Will Cranley has put up some pretty good numbers. 304 goals against average, 913 save percentage. He's 7-5. and five, So that will be a, a big part of the backbone for Flint if you don't have that explosive offense that Brennan Othman brings. They still have a lot of offensive players, but he was a big-time catalyst, a big-time one-timer on the power play. He's not there. You start looking at maybe you know guys like Will Cranley having to make a 
big difference in net. Yeah, absolutely. And and so those two games are going to be very interesting. And then, you know, the Knights have split the season series so far with the Sioux Greyhounds earlier. The Sioux uh, shut them out one nothing uh, in London. They also played again this past weekend. The Knights doubling them up four to two. But going into the Sioux, totally different ball game. The atmosphere, the environment, the travel, the game on Saturday, and then an afternoon game on the Sunday. Uh, a road trip like this, Mike. You know what does this do for a team like this? How do the Knights deal with this mentally and and moving forward? Well, the travel does come into play. It used to be that Sault Ste. Marie would have games at 7 p.m. every Sunday, and they would catch teams at the end of a road trip. Now, you can't look at them and say, hey, that's not fair. This team travels more than any other in the Ontario Hockey League. Every second weekend, they are on the road, and they are going through their own difficult road trips and their own three games in four days usually, sometimes three and three all on the road, and they do it every second weekend. So Sault Ste. Marie would also take advantage of that in the past, and they would have 7 p.m. Sunday night games, and you'd catch teams just kind of waiting to get home at the end of a road trip, and they were always a tough team to play. They've done a really good job building teams in the Sioux for a long, long time. And then they move the games up to a 2 p.m. start, and that adds a whole new wrinkle. So here's what will happen for the London Knights this weekend. They will play Flint on Saturday night after hosting them on Friday night. Then they will travel to Sault Ste. Marie. The weather does have a little bit of snow in it. Nothing too, too bad. Nothing like Buffalo this weekend. But <laughs> it does have a little bit of snow in it. And the Knights will get into Sault Ste. Marie, depending on the weather, depending on the Mackinac Bridge, because you have to cross that. And if it's windy, sometimes you have to wait for an escort across that bridge. And so that will take up some more time. So let's say, best case scenario, they get in at about 2 a.m. The players immediately go to the hotel because they have to play the game the next day. Anybody else who is not a player goes to the arena and unloads the bus and hangs the equipment and brings in all of the things that the Knights need to play the game the next day. And so picture it. It'll feel like about minus 15, according to the forecast. There will be snow, wind gusts of about 38 kilometers an hour, and you're outside trying to unload everything, get it all in, and then the rest of the staff will go and probably get to bed about 3.30. Breakfast is scheduled for about 9.30, so you don't get a full night's sleep, and then next thing you know, you're at the rink, and the guys are taping sticks and getting on the ice. So it's an absolute whirlwind of a weekend, and the travel does come into play. You hope you have a good pillow and you can catch at least an hour or two on the bus before even getting into Sault Ste. Marie. But bus sleep, bus sleep and bed sleep, Kyle, you know this. They're not the same thing. Not even kind of remotely. And it's <laughs> it's so funny you say that because when you're talking about like players doing travel and whatnot, now, now the, the furthest travel I did playing junior was we did about a six-hour trip from the GTA, so about Burlington area, to Temiskaming, Quebec. And that was about a six-and-a-half, seven-hour bus ride on a Friday night to go play a game there. And then the drive back, you don't get back home till about three, three in the morning or so, give or take. And then you got a game the next afternoon or evening, whether it's at four or seven o'clock. But it's funny when you said anyone, but the players is bringing the equipment, setting everything like that's the hunters too, right? 
everybody pitches in. So you will see Knights head coach Dale Hunter helping to do the work. This is what this organization is all about. If you are on a road trip, you are part of that organization. And if there is a job to do, somebody does it. Whoever can reach that job first, that's you. And that's one of the the real, you know, one of the real special parts about this organization is that, yeah, everybody does the heavy lifting at all times. It's, it's so awesome. Incredible. So it, it's going to be a very fun weekend. going to be a very busy weekend. I know you're going to be traveling a lot with them too, obviously doing the calls on 980 CFPL, but you know, you've had an actually an opportunity to talk to, you know, not just the players, but a lot of the players, parents, and you had a chance to talk to not only John Sim, but Derek Crane, who are the fathers of Brody Crane and Landon Sim. Now to set the scene here, John Sim was a third round selection by the Dallas Stars back in 1996, the National Hockey League. He played with the Sarnia Sting in the OHL. He played in over 200 games and put up 312 points as a member of Sarnia. He played almost 500 games in the NHL. He played for Dallas, Nashville, LA, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, the the Panthers, Thrashers, Islanders. So there's a lot of experience, but you didn't talk to him about the NHL experience. You talked to them about the OHL experience, the process, and when you start as a young player to develop and get to the next level. Yes, and that's something that really matters and I think players that embrace that whole process and their parents if they embrace the process that it takes where you are a top player throughout your entire life if you're going to play in the Ontario Hockey League there are rare cases where somebody might say you know I I really wasn't very good and then all of a sudden I was great and I made the Ontario Hockey League those are rare rare stories So you go from being the best player on your team to all of a sudden being 16 and having to go up against guys who are 19 and 20. The game is different, and it can really take a piece out of you sometimes if you're not ready. Having dads who've seen this before, that certainly helps. And we are going to hear from John Sim, and and he'll even tell us some of his OHL stories because he played for Mark Hunter back when Mark was coaching the Sarnia Sting. That was his introduction to, hey, I might be able to do this for a living. Derek Crane played five seasons in the OHL, played with the London Knights, played with the 67s, played with the Spitfires, and we really got into a discussion with Derek, Brody Crane's dad, about the process that the OHL is. You know, growing up, we've uh, we came up here sitting in the nosebleeds watching, and uh, I think he's dreamed of a weekend like this. And it's uh, it's finally come. He's starting to go to go upwards, and uh, it's just it's awesome to watch him do well out there. Derek, how hard was it? Because Brody had to go through the pandemic. You lose a season, basically. Yep. How hard was that to handle as a parent, knowing you've got a really talented son who wants to pursue hockey, and at one point he couldn't even play? Yeah, it was tough. You know, that whole uh, 04 age group missed a lot, and uh, just trying to keep them motivated off the couch. Uh, just tough times, right? It's something new for them, and uh, but uh, he worked hard. You know, last year was a tough year, but uh, this year's a new year, and he's uh, he's given her. Tell us about the young Brody Crane. When did you first sense 
this could uh, happen that he could play like at this level? Well, he was uh, he was a go-getter right from the beginning. Uh, always a smooth skater. Uh, was able to move up to AAA at a young age, and uh, he just uh, he just kind of had it. He just just felt it. And, uh, worked hard for a lot of years to get to this point, and. Uh, Moved around a lot, yeah. You know, to the U.S., to Buffalo, and um, yeah, he's put a lot of time and effort into it. But he's always had that skating ability, and that's kind of what uh, drove him, I think, to be a good hockey player. Let's go so, back to yeah. the early '90s: London Gardens, the yeah. London Knights, <laughs> Louis DeBrus. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about playing for the Knights at that time. Well, probably not too much different uh, than it is today. It's always been an organization you wanted to go to, um, but it was uh, it was a tough hockey team. You had Louie, Barry Tomsky, Chris Crombie, Denny Purdy. Those Did that guys, give you uh, lots of room on the ice? You could kind of do whatever you wanted to do. At well, times? Uh, to, to be honest with you, I was the fourth left winger, so behind Louie, Chris, and Barry. So uh, <laughs> when I got out there, uh, I, I gave her all I could do, and. Uh, it was good times, so though. We had a, we had a blast. That was that was a good team, coached by Gary Agnew. He had close-up seats for some. Uh, Chris Taylor, bit yep. of an underrated sort of not underrated because he was the leading scorer of the oh, franchise. Yeah. But what a junior he was. He was awesome. That guy, uh, he could score goals. He just had knack to put the puck in the net. But uh, I think the uh, the thing that was overlooked about him was he wasn't shy to go in the corners. So you know he was he was a tough nut. Mind you, he had Louis on his line, but. Yeah. Uh, he was good. He was tough. He logged about 40 minutes a game, I think. The other guy you got a glimpse of was uh, because of a knee injury that really affected his career. But Rick Corbel. Yeah, Rick. What, uh, you know, handling the puck at that point was really something to see as well. Yeah, he was uh, he was beyond his years with uh, puck handling. He used a crazy stick. I think it was like a, a it was like a wedge. It was nuts. <laughs> I remember one time he had a penalty shot and he came over to the bench and he gave us a wink. And he turned the goalie inside out with his moves and just tucked it in a little bit there. Yeah. So. so a little tiny stick. Well, not a tiny stick. The uh, oh, curve. the curve. Nah, like the the lie on it was it was crazy. Like a <laughs> back then when you got drafted, you got to go down to Louisville and uh, get your own pattern. So he made uh, this crazy stick. It was like a wedge. It was nuts. <laughs> he was a good guy. Yeah, but. Well, could you ever imagine something like this, what you're seeing here, 9,000, uh, back at, back when you were a player? No, this is uh, this is phenomenal. It's like a yeah. mini NHL break. I can see why when players come here, they don't want to leave. It's, it's, it's a pretty awesome site when there's 9,100 in here. So, Tell us what you're doing now. You're still in this area. Uh, I'm in the area. I live in Union, Ontario, by Port Stanley, St. Thomas. Uh, uh, I'm a plumber. Work for uh, Trade Tech Mechanical down there in St. Thomas, and... It's uh, just a great area. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, just it moved really on is. from hockey and watched Broad, watching Broad play now. So it's pretty exciting stuff. Wow. Congratulations on the week. My goodness. Uh, yep. You know, I mean, all the work, you know all the work that goes in Absolutely. to what happened this week. Like, it didn't just happen. Nope, nope. It, uh, it was a tough year last year, you know, uh, playing here in London was earning the trust and respect of your coaches. Yep. It's uh, it's definitely a process. And I think the uh, the tough survive here. And uh, Broads has learned a lot. And uh, I think it's starting to show. Yeah. I think the fans will like them in the next uh, half year to year coming up. And it's going to be, it'll be fun. Rookie camp with the New Jersey Devils sounded yeah. like it was fun. Good experience. That was a great experience, except the day uh, Rogers went down. 
We uh, it was a, it was a bit of a cabacle, but we ended up uh, trying to find some Wi-Fi, make some phone calls, and <laughs> less than 24 hours later, he's in a hotel in New Jersey. So amazing! So it was it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a great experience for him, and uh, hopefully, he can build off that this year. Well. Thanks so much for so, spending some time with us, telling well, some you guys. early 90s stories and yeah. some dad yeah. stories. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations lot, to the whole yeah. family, Derek. This is just wonderful to see Thanks uh, a lot, the emergence of Brody, who is just such a fine guy. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and just uh, getting what, uh, you know, all the work that he put yeah. in and now getting the rewards. Wow. Yeah, for sure. All these 04s on this team are really picking it yeah. up now, and it's going to be a good year. Derek Crane, father of Brody Crane, on what he is seeing from his son on some of his days in the Ontario Hockey League, playing with Louis DeBrusque and playing with Chris Taylor. We also had a chance to sit down with John Sim, and Kyle has gone through his NHL career, the success that he had in the OHL, played for Mark Hunter with the Sarnia Sting, scored back-to-back 56 goal seasons. And you've got to remember, the OHL was a very different place then. And for a guy who was under five foot ten to score as much as he did, that was not easy. And we asked John to take us back to what the OHL was like in the mid to late 90s when he was racing around as a member of the Sting. It was a beast, man. I mean, we had, usually what happened, we had two really skilled lines and you had two lines that were a lot of meat and potatoes and big boys and they'd like to, uh, they'd like to scrap and, you know, but it was a fun era. It was a fun time. We had a great building in Sarnia and it was, it was a fun place to play. So how did you show being a guy who was going to score as much as you did that you know you were willing to go to the gray areas you weren't going to back down against some of these guys because every once in a while you'd look up one of them would be there yeah no I was I was a smaller player with a lot of grit and a lot of determination and and if I didn't play that way I wasn't I wasn't going to be successful and you know I I put up great numbers and uh you know goals didn't come easy I found but I found ways to score it was a lot of tap-ins a lot of net crease goals a lot of deflections but um, you know, it was a it was a, it was a ton of fun. I wouldn't change it. That's for sure. Playing for Mark Hunter, what was that like? <laughs> uh, Mark, Mark was great. Uh, he was great. Whenever I when I first came in, in in January, you know, it was a feel out process. Let's feel what this kid can do. And then I remember I got a shift in the second period, and I didn't play much in the first. And uh, the puck was laying right in front of the net, and I whacked it in backhand. And and ever since that goal went in, you know, Mark and I's relationship has been outstanding and great. And he played the guts out of me the next three years, and and, uh, and we're still good friends today. So, Do you keep in touch with any of the other guys? Because you had guys who were characters on those Sarnia Sting teams. They they could have fun, but at the same time, you know, would do memorable things on the ice. Yeah, no, I, I try to keep in contact with as many as I can. You know, Aaron Brand, I'll see probably next time we're in Sarnia that the Knights are up there. I'm going to come in for that game. Uh, Andy Delmore, I, I chatted with him quickly last night. Trevor Latowski. You know, the list goes on and on, and, and you know, those those guys were, were great friends, and, and a lot of these kids don't realize how fun Junior is, and once it's over, it's it's over, and, you know, you make the best friends of your life. You jump from the Sting right to the Dallas Stars organization, right at a time where the Stars are about to win the Stanley Cup, and there you are with that team playing in the playoffs, ultimately the game that would go to Brett Hall's skate in the crease. What do you remember now from that run? I just remember the sacrifice it took, and the the long nights, and the, the you know just the, the the unbelievable that these guys went through the bodies, the pain, blocking shots, uh, bruises, and 
and there's just no rest. There's no rest for two and a half months, and you, you have to stay dialed in and, and stay dialed to the game. And, uh, you know, that really helped me throughout my career. I, I played for 16 more years after that, and you take little pieces of, of, of what Guy Carboneau talked about and what Mike Keane talked about and even Bob Ganey, Ken Hitchcock, like these guys, uh, you know, just remarkable hockey people. And you take a little bit from every one of them and you put it into your, your game, and uh, it lasted a long time. Playing hockey in Los Angeles, you got a chance to do that. What is it like to play in the NHL in L.A.? It was fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, the great weather. you got a lot of uh, different people, a lot of people watching, you know. But it, you can get away from the game, too. Like, you can you can go down to, to Hollywood and hang out and, and sit on a pier and just relax. And you can really get away from the game, which is which is nice at times. But but it was, uh, it, was a, it was a special spot. It was a pretty cool spot. Now you are a dad of... One player who's drafted by the St. Louis Blues, another player or two players who are coming up. How do you kind of tell the things that you've learned? Because you've learned so much in your career. How do you get that to your kids? Well, I think it's just living. I mean, we're a hockey family. We we grew up, I grew up, well, they, my kids grew up in the game. I'm at the rink now more than I, than I was when I played. And, you know, we talk about hockey, we talk about little things, the work ethic, the determination, and... The never quit, and you know I think it, you see with the, the way Landon plays, he's he's a very determined, gritty guy, and he loves the game of hockey. He loves to compete and, and loves to uh, loves to win, and and those are the attributes that we you know we try to instill in our kids in life, not just in hockey, but in life. You know, love what you do and be a good person. When you look at trying to, you know tell the little things, the little parts of the game. You know, how much talking do you do after a game? Uh, to my, I mean, there's always little points in the game you like to just say, you know, you know, try doing this a little bit different. But at, you know, at the end of the day, he's with great people. He's with the hunters. He's with, you know, he's great. He's in a great organization. They're coaching. You know, if I can help out in any little way, I try to. But you know, it's it's a, it's hard from 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 Nova Scotia to to be you know to give up insight. So uh, that's why I came in this weekend. It's uh, you know, and I'm, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I love being here at the nights. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Next up, Lane. <laughs> yeah, Lane's uh, he's a good little player. He's uh, he's got a ton of skill. He's a lot of grit and determination as well. So we'll see what happens. Well, congratulations on the NHL career. Thanks for spending some time with us. Awesome, thank you, John Sim, the father of Landon Sim. A big thanks to him and Derek Crane for coming on and and chatting a little bit about themselves, about their sons, who are. Very pivotal players of the London Knights and will be expected uh, for more things for the space, uh, specifically this weekend as the Knights have another three and three. Uh, yeah, I, I love hearing stories about how different hockey was back when they played. Like we're talking about 80s and 90s style. And, you know, John Sims was a smaller player and found a way to put up 56 goal seasons. And like nowadays you hear that all the time. Patrick Kane and Mitch Marner and guys like that. And, you know, it just it was unheard of back in the day. It was hard. And, you know, the, the game was hard for a different reason. Right now, it's hard to play because you have to be so skilled, because you have to skate so well, because you have to think the game at such a high level. And that's what makes today's game hard. In the 80s, 70s, even into the 90s, it was hard because the rules were a little different because – you were allowed to reach out and grab somebody. You were allowed to hook and hold a little bit more. There was more toughness, and you had to watch out for that because there were guys out there that you didn't want to wind up pulling out of a scrum, 
and staring at face-to-face. And so for a guy like John Sim, you had to prove yourself. You had to show, I'm not backing down. And there's a lot of that in Landon Sim as well, that I'm not backing down. I'm going to make your life miserable on the ice, and it's going to serve him so well going forward because those attributes now are really rare. And when you combine skill and IQ with I'm not backing down, you've got something. You really do. And uh, it's 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 incredible to hear. A big thanks to them once again. A big thank you to listening to the podcast, which you can listen to on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, up at globalnews.ca. And we will leave you that. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the three games that the London Knights have to offer. Mike Stubbs will have the call on 980 CFPL. All begins on Friday night at Budweiser Gardens. You can find us on social media at Stubbs980, at Kyle Grimar, G-R-I-M-A-R-D, Stubbs with two Bs. And Mike, we'll, uh, we'll catch up on the weekend, and we'll see you Monday. Look forward to it. Thanks, Kyle. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.